so if you have your Bibles, please turn there to Exodus chapter 20 as we continue our series on the Ten Commandments. We're calling it a gospel perspective. I hope you're seeing that um, and seeing how Jesus will see that really in particular today. I think we saw it each and every week, the fulfillment of that um, of the Ten Commandments. So open your Bibles, Exodus chapter 20. Our lesson will be verses uh, 8 through 11, but I want to read to you uh, as we continue through this study all of the uh, commandments to try to keep them in perspective. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 11, looking at verses 8 through 11 as we continue. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of your fathers, of the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Third commandment, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The fourth commandment, our study today, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock sojourner who is in within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the day, the Sabbath day, and made it holy. May God add a blessing to the reading of his holy word this morning. As we get into the text, just really quickly, two things we want to keep in mind in order to keep the moral laws of God in its historical, covenantal, and redemptive context. We mentioned this before, is revelation and relationship. When we say revelation, we talk about the law reflects the lawgiver. God is good, God is holy, God is just, God is righteous. And in his law, it reflects his goodness, the law is righteousness, and it reflects his character and his will. But it also reveals our sin. When you read the Ten Commandments, you realize that you can't live righteously. And we need forgiveness of sins. We need a righteousness that is not our own, that we cannot obtain. We need it from someone who is holy and perfect. And his name is Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He is the spotless, perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God. By faith in his righteousness, by faith in him, his righteousness is imputed to us. Imputed to our account. Therefore, we can obey God without the fear of failure, judgment, of condemnation. For Christ has lived that perfect life for us. The law reveals God, reveals our needs. Same thing in relationship. When we talk about relationship, we're talking about that the moral law was given to Israel in Exodus chapter 20. After they were redeemed, after they were liberated, after they were saved. Today, same thing, we obey the moral law of God, not to win the favor of God, to approval of God. We obey the law because we have been redeemed, renewed, regenerated, and out of love and gratitude and thanksgiving, because of the gospel, we respond in obedience. Out of the gospel, we respond. We've loved, we've accepted, we've been accepted, we've been forgiven. 
Also remember that God made a promise in Genesis 3.15 to Adam, a covenantal promise to Adam, and in love made it also to Abraham that he would send the Redeemer. And we find that fulfillment completely in Christ, in his person, and in his work. He's the offspring of promise. He's the one who redeems and rescues and delivers God's people from sin, from Satan, from death and hell. And those who believe, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit to renew us and regenerate our hearts. And our disposition, our relationship toward, toward God has been one of peace and our disposition toward the law has been changed. That's why John says God's laws are not burdensome to us. We love God. He's our father. He wants what's best for his kids. It has changed because of the gospel. And the moral law now is our guide. Now, it can't save us. It can't condemn us. But it is something that we respond to out of love because of the gospel. And we respond in obedience to God, who's a father who loves us. One other thing I haven't mentioned I want to talk about, I think it's important to do, and I've been waiting for this day in the fourth commandment, is to talk about the different laws of God. Um, there's the moral law, there's a the civil law, and there's a the ceremonial law. Theologians for centuries, including the reformers, have broken God's law down in three categories. As I said, the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral laws. They're not completely separate from one another. We'll, we'll see that today. But that breakdown and understanding those three titles or those three headings for God's law makes it easier to try to understand the laws of God. And the fourth commandment here, keeping the Sabbath day, uh, you'll see is the moral law of God, but it's also a ceremonial law as well. So the civil law was given to God, given by God to the people of Israel um, under a theocracy. God governed them and, and included guidelines like, you know, waging war, restriction on land use, debts and penalties and violations of the law. And the church, though, is, is not a state. It's not like we're a theocracy. Uh, we have a government, Romans 13, and we also do have a king, though. His name is Jesus, and his kingdom is not on earth as right now completely fulfilled. It will be someday, but right now his kingdom is mostly spiritual. So as you know, our nation has followed a lot of the civil laws of the Old Testament. Other nations have done and they're good and helpful and useful, obviously, but we're not under the civil laws of the Old Testament. Next is ceremonial laws. They have to do with cleansing and washings and festivals and, and all those things that clean foods and unclean foods and ritual purity, guidelines for the priest, the festivals, especially the sacrificial system. When you read in the Old Testament about the sacrificial system, there were ceremonial laws that pointed to Christ. And we know from Hebrews that Jesus completely fulfilled all the ceremonial laws. In particular, he is the once and for all atonement for sin. The whole sacrificial system finds its fulfillment in Christ. And in fact, if you chase after and run after uh, the ceremonial laws, you really are saying that Christ's work is insufficient, as we learned in Hebrews, but it is sufficient. The moral laws we say has been an expression of who God is. It doesn't change. It's, it's God's realistic, or at least his, 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 under, his law given to us to live in a certain way, a human behavior. God created Adam and Eve, moral excellence, put them in the garden, and they were to follow his uh, moral standard for humanity. Of course, we know the fall comes, sin enters the world, and they are incapable of conforming to the law. That's why Jesus came and died a perfect substitute in our place after living that perfect life. So you have the civil laws, you have the ceremonial laws, you have the moral laws. Just something to, to consider, particularly as we look at the fourth commandment. 
So as we look at the Sabbath day, we look at the Sabbath rest. I have the, the slide up already. Um, the questions, I'm sure, if you've done any study of this at all, is, is the Sabbath rest for Israel alone? Is it only for Israel? Should we be gathering on Saturday, which was the Sabbath rest for, for the Jewish people? Or is it okay to gather together on Sunday? Obviously, we're here. That kind of answers your question, but we'll get into it a little bit. Is it binding for believers, Christians today? Um, does Jesus have any authority over the Sabbath day? Um, is Sunday even considered a Sabbath rest, or is it something else, like the Lord's Day? So those are the kind of questions that we ask as we come to this text, and we, we learn and see what God has to say to us about the Sabbath rest. One thing you will know, that for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, it's been a hotly debated issue. So we come to this with some humility, um, and being careful and considering the Sabbath rest. People have come to some minor disagreements or at least minor differences, and we're okay with that. Okay, so what I want to do is, it was tough coming up with an outline. That's why I love to do expository preaching. I'm looking to get back into books of the Bible because the outline's right there for you. Um, but I thought about this, and I thought, you know, let's do it historically. Let's look at God's Sabbath rest in, in the beginning. Then we'll look at Israel as called into a nation when Exodus 20 comes in. Then we'll look at Jesus' day, because Jesus has a lot to say about the Sabbath rest. And then we'll see what Paul has to say, and Jesus and Paul, has to say about the Christian church on our Sabbath rest. So that's our outline. All right, I figured that would be the best way to go. So first you need to know that the Sabbath, the word Sabbath, comes from the Hebrew word of rest, or, or to cease, to stop. A lot of times you speak to Jewish people, they will tell you that the, the word shalom, excuse me, the word uh, uh, Sabbath and shalom go together. So they would say Shabbat shalom, rest in peace. And it has its origin uh, origin in the creation account. Genesis 1.31. God saw that he what he made, and behold, it was very good. Going back on all that he made. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So first day, second day, all the way up to the sixth day. And he says, man, it, it is very good. Thus the heavens and the earth, chapter 2, verse 1, were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Okay, so God rest the word, excuse me, God rested and made it holy. The word holy means separate. It's been set apart. It's different from all the other days in which God created. And God's Sabbath rest, when he rested on the seventh day, does not mean, as you know, I hope, that he was exhausted. He was tired. He was like built up a sweat on all those days and he needed to physically and emotionally just take a nap. That's not what happened. Okay, not like us. We need to take naps. God created the world and saw it was very good. It wasn't like it was an inspection. Like, oh, I, yeah, I, I, let me see if this is really worth anything. No, you know, we we hear we hear when we hear a good song, we we just say like that that was a good song or we really tugged on heart. That was a good song. God looks at creation and says, "I'm satisfied." That was that is glorious. And rest on the seventh day. He said, it is good. It is finished. I am pleased. I am satisfied. And that's what the rest really means. Truly to, to lay down something. To lay it down. 
There's one thing I want you to notice in this creation account, if you have your Bibles, you could turn to Genesis 1, is that on each day God creates, it ends the same way. Morning and evening. Morning and evening. Each day. First day, morning and evening. Second day, morning and evening. And you have this repetitive uh, uh, wording. Except on the seventh day. In Genesis, when he, when he rests on the seventh day, it goes right into the rest of, of the narrative. There is no morning and evening. God creates the world, rests on it, gives this breathtaking, beautiful, glorious world to man and his wife. And now everything is set and now they can enjoy their relationship with their God. They can enjoy relationship without fighting <laughs> with one another. There is shalom, peace. The garden was a holy place of Sabbath rest. There were days, but there was peace and there was rest. Up until chapter 3, Adam and Eve walked with God, talked with God. Because there was, there, there was God and, and God was their rest. There was no fear, there was no shame, there was no sin, no anxiety. No worries. Adam had the complete freedom because he fellowshiped with the God of rest. And in order to remain in the shalom, in order to remain in the rest, Adam was told not to do something but to trust God, to, to rest in God, to trust in God, to, to, to have faith in his provision and care for him. And we know what happened. He didn't pay attention. He rebelled against God. Sin enters the world. And when Adam sinned, there was no more rest. <laughs> no longer did he walk with God in the cool of the day. He started making clothes for himself. He started running and hiding. There was fear. There was anxiety. There was shame. He was sneaking around with his wife, trying to stay out of sight of God. Unbelief and rebellion brought the forfeiting of rest. And man now, ever since that day, is seeking to rest apart from faith, trying to work for his own salvation. If Adam had been obedient, he would have stayed in the eternal rest of God, for he would have been given what? The, the, the tree of life. Now, for sure, this rest does not mean that working, because Adam was called to work, is part of the curse. It is not. Working is not part of the curse. Work is a divine gift that was given to mankind way before the fall. In chapter 2, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. This is before sin, to work it and to care for it. Work it and care for it became words in the Hebrew for the priest to work and serve and worship God in the tabernacle. We were made to work. The trouble is, though, because of sin, you read in chapter 3, that the, uh, part of the curse of Adam's sin was that now work became turn, uh, toil, arduous. It was only after Adam sinned that he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. The fourth commandment reminds us to honor God. To honor God by doing honest week's work. Doing an honest week's worth. We find God's blessing in doing what we are called to do as we serve God and love God in community and around wherever we are. And, and, and if we're honest, we see this rhythm and some people, and you may be one of them, I don't know, um, we're, we're resting for six days and we're working one day. 
And we need to take responsibility and do the opposite, right? Work six days and take one day off. It's a good rhythm God has made in creation. And some of us, we work eight days a week. I think it's a Beatles song. Right? We're, we're working, and we're working, and working, we're working, and working. We're never resting. We're never taking time to refresh. We're constantly on a go. We don't even know how to rest. That's dishonoring the God. That's not following the pattern of the rhythm that he created for our good and his glory. The pattern here is to work and rest. And before sin, all the work that was done is an act of worship. It was done with shalom. It was done with peace. Rest in the God of rest. But sin shattered that. So the time we get to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, you see it, it says, we are to remember. If you have your Bibles open, I know I got Deuteronomy up there, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Exodus chapter 28 says, remember the, sa- uh, the Sabbath day, pointing to something earlier. Remember meaning something has happened in the past. Now, God never gave the law like this until now in Exodus 20. But just two chapters earlier, while Israel's roaming in the uh, wilderness, God sends manna from heaven. He says, six days, collect your manna. On the sixth day, collect for how many days? Two. Why? Because it's the Sabbath day. Chapter 16, uh, verse 26 and 23. Uh, It's a Sabbath day. So they understood at least the Sabbath practice even before Exodus 20, chapter 8. So he says, remember. Now, the word remember in the Hebrew doesn't mean just to recollect. Right? So if you're married, you are to remember your anniversary. It's not like you mention it. You do something. Right? You're better. Oh, by the way, uh, today's our anniversary, and that's the end of it. No, that's not what happens. You better get some flowers or something. So same thing in the scripture. When remembering the Sabbath means to take that day to show your love for God in a distinctive way and, and keeping it holy, setting it apart from all the other days. And God's inviting us in the, uh, into that in the Sabbath day as he sanctifies it to rejoice in him and his sovereignty and his goodness and his creation. What is very interesting, and I have it up here, Deuteronomy chapter 5 is in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you may not know this, I don't even know if I mentioned it, but you also have the Ten Commandments listed. It's a parallel to Exodus 20. But what's interesting in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, when, he, when, when, when Moses writes the Ten Commandments, he roots the Sabbath day in Israel's freedom from slavery. Chapter 5, uh, verse 12, it starts, Observe the Sabbath day, it's the fourth commandment. You get down to verse 15, it says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It wasn't you. I did this, God is saying. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to what? Keep the Sabbath day. Goes on, actually. Well, keep, I'll, I'll end it there. So, Exodus, in our text here, connects the Sabbath day with creation from Genesis. Deuteronomy, when Moses gives the Sabbath rest commandment, he connects the Sabbath death, uh, day to their celebration of redemption, deliverance from Egypt. Okay? Therefore, the, the Sabbath day is a reminder that God is the emancipator, a liberator. Right? They were in slavery. I don't think they had a day off. 
I don't think the, the Egyptians and Pharaoh said, hey, you know what? You guys look like you've worked hard enough. Why don't you take a day off? That didn't happen. So you say, look, I liberated you. I set you free. So Deuteronomy chapter 5 has this view, uh, the view of the, of the Sabbath, that, the Sabbath day. And their view is more about the people, the people in the covenant or of the covenant. We set you free. Exodus has more about emphasis on the God of the covenant. So the people of the covenant in that, we set you free. I set you free. I released you from bondage. It's more about the people of the covenant. Exodus is more about the God of the covenant. So it's very important you see this this morning. That the Sabbath day rest is grounded in both creation and redemption to the Jewish people. Okay, we go further. It was actually a sign. We talk about signs, we talk about rainbows and stuff, but this was actually, the Sabbath day was actually a sign of God's creative purposes and saving grace. Exodus chapter 31. Sabbath becomes a sign of the Mosaic covenant. Look what it says. Chapter 31, verse 13. We're going to be in a lot of verses today. He says, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and your throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. It's a sign. It is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be what? Put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. So it's just like the rainbow in the sky given to Noah, just like circumcision to Abraham, the Sabbath is a sign, part of the Mosaic Covenant, that God would care for his people, love his people, and that they would take a rest uh, during the week, at the end of the week, and to trust him, to worship him, and to rest. And what God is doing here in both Genesis, excuse me, Exodus and in Deuteronomy is republishing a already principle that was given in creation, given to Adam in the garden. But Israel can't enter into rest. That's the point. By her own labor, she had to be delivered. That's what all, that's what Exodus is all about, being delivered and redeemed by the God of grace and the God of rest. Israel was not free from slavery by herself. She was set apart by the grace of God. So, the Sabbath was not only a day of rest, stopping labor, work, and a day of worship. It was also a day to celebrate Israel's glorious redemption by the hand of God. Now we see the reason why the penalty was so severe. Because if Israel refused to obey the, the fourth commandment and rest on the Sabbath, she was telling the world they don't need to rescue, that God is not a God of grace. I could do this on my own. I'll work for my own salvation. The fourth commandment is the living portrait of Romans 6.23. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, as you know, the history of Israel... Uh, and we would be the same, not picking on them at all. Uh, they didn't keep the Sabbath rest. They didn't, they didn't be, they weren't reminded of God's eternal Sabbath, nor of Israel's redemption. By the time you get to Nehemiah, you read the te- uh, prophet, uh, every day became, you know, just a work day and, and, and it became a real, real problem. As you also notice in the Sabbath uh, rest of Israel, there's a negative and a positive. We talked about this before. 
So the positive requirement is to, to keep the Sabbath day holy, to rest on the Sabbath day. The negative, obviously, what you don't want to do is work, do any work, verse, uh, verse 10. Okay? What's also interesting, before we leave Israel's, uh, this, this heading, Israel's Sabbath rest, is, is you need to know, is that the Sabbath rest at the end of the week on Saturday was not the only Sabbath that they should keep. If you continue to read, and you read in Leviticus, they would hold Sabbath days every seven years, and then every, every 50 years, seven times 70 plus one, day of atonement, they would hold, which you probably heard this before, the year of Jubilee. So the Sabbath rest, seven years, 50 years, they would hold the, uh, the year of Jubilee, which prisoners were set free, slaves and debtors go free, and debts were canceled. It was the year of Jubilee. And God, in his law, and speaking to Israel, and revealing himself to Israel, was revealing primarily who he is and what he has done. And the age to come, pointing them to the promised Messiah. Okay, to the promised Messiah. In fact, in, in, in Psalm 62, he invites his people, come and rest. He says this, for God alone, my soul waits in silence, silence. From him comes my salvation. There's this resting and waiting, anticipating within the law, within the people of Israel for this coming day rest. Okay? So God's rest, Genesis, Israel's rest, and now Jesus' Sabbath rest. So Jesus shows up on the scene, right? And the Sabbath day has been brutally beaten up, right? Out of control. In the gospel accounts, the four gospel accounts, Jesus confronts religious leaders, not only concerning their stupid man-made regulations, but he uses the Sabbath rest, rest to point to his personhood, who he is. And I'll explain to that as we get there in a minute. So the Sabbath, Jesus comes on the scene, the Sabbath rest, and they have 39, what I read, 39 types of work that was in violation of the Sabbath day rest where he's not supposed to work. They added so many rules, so many regulations, they became such legalists that the day was not a day of rest. It was a day of incredible burdens to bear, not burdens to be lifted. A tailor couldn't carry a needle with him because just in case he was tempted to sew something that was ripped. If you took a bath, you couldn't do that because if water fell on the floor and washed away some dirt, it was considered work. If you had a candle lit and you forgot to put it out, don't you dare do it during the Sabbath. That was work. Ladies, if you happen to see a glass or a mirror and you see a little gray hair pop, popping out and you plucked it, that was work. Violated the Sabbath. You couldn't wear jewelry if it weighed more than a dried fig. I suppose you could wear a dried fig earrings. Don't know how that will look. The Sabbath became, you know what, a pain, Right? impossible to rest. I can go on. There was so many funny things. I had to cut it short. They were under incredible burden. And Jesus comes on the scene as he does multiple times. Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. He has to straighten them out. Right? He's got, he's got to interpret the law correctly. So, in the Gospel according to John, chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who's been 38, 38 years. He's been an invalid for 38 years. And he tells him, Pick up your mat, which he slept on the mat, roll it up, pick it up, and go home. The religious leaders see the man walking home after laying on a mat for 38 years and tell him, you're violating the Sabbath because you're walking with your bed. 
Like he's supposed to lay there healed until the sun rises. Then they accused Jesus of healing him on the Sabbath. Again, breaking their silly laws. In John chapter 5, verse 17, they confront Jesus and Jesus says to them, My father, I just healed a man, invalid for 38 years. My father is working until now and I'm working on the Sabbath. This was, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he wasn't, but he was even calling him, calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Clear deity, Jesus claimed for himself in John chapter 5. Like the Father, the Son is working too on the Sabbath and not violating any laws. Jesus, as the Son, is claiming the same exemptions, prerogatives, privileges, and exclusive right as God himself. Very clear, John chapter 5. When we get to Mark chapter 2, one particular Sabbath, Jesus going through some field grain fields, and the disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and right on cue, the legalists, the Pharisees, said to Jesus, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Which, by the way, is wrong, because Deuteronomy says you can do that. Um, they were poor, they left their livelihood, they were, they were hungry, they were living by faith, walking with Jesus. And then Jesus says, listen, guys, you really know your Bibles, religious people? He says, have you never read about David? What he did when he was in need and he was hungry, just like my disciples, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, the temple, in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, something inside the, the, the temple, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also to those who were with him, they all ate. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2. When you get to Mark chapter 3, Jesus is pushing the envelope. Love it. And they wanted to catch him for healing again. Jesus turns to them. He's got a withered hand, a man with a withered hand. Jesus says, let me ask you guys a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. Here's a man with a withered hand. Grieved at their hardness of heart. And Jesus said to them, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and he was restored. Why so angry, Jesus? Why so upset? Well, the reason for the Sabbath rest is about restoring the diminished replenishing the drained, repairing the broken. So the disciples to eat because they were hungry or Jesus healing a man with a shriveled hand or taking his mat and going home on the Sabbath is really what the Sabbath is all about. Loving God, loving others, serving and worshiping God and having mercy on others. But these high religious people, biblically informed, did not like the idea that Jesus was breaking their man-made stupid rules. And make no mistake, he was. But Jesus obeyed the Father's law impeccably. Not their laws. Not man-made laws. Healing a man on the Sabbath, plucking grain, eating it, is in no way an act of disobedience. No way. Therefore, 
Look what, I think I have it up. Yeah, Mark chapter 2. Okay, so let's go back really quickly and see what Jesus has to say. Very important. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. I have the verse up there. This is what Jesus says about the Sabbath rest. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Okay, you got that? The Sabbath was made for man. The word man is the Greek word for mankind. Although the Sabbath was given to the Jewish people at Sinai as part of, of, of the covenant between God and, and his people as a day of rest, as a day to identify se- themselves being separate and holy, a day to worship and to witness to the world of his goodness, faithfulness, and trust. It had already been given as a principle at creation, a rhythm that has been laid down at creation for all mankind. Work six days, rest on the seventh day. God's people then obeyed that Sabbath on Saturday. Sometimes they did, right? The last day of the week until the time of Jesus. And we'll talk about that in a minute. When Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man and not for not man for the Sabbath, what he's saying is the Sabbath was not given to man. The Sabbath was not given to man to rule over man, but was given to man as a gift to be enjoyed. Jesus is affirming one of the basic principles of the Sabbath. It was God's stress management program for our minds and our emotions. Our bodies need rest. Next, Jesus says in verse uh, 28, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's like, I'm not going to get caught up in your religious silly rules. Listen, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Now notice, Jesus didn't only say that he has divine authority... To do what he wanted to do. He can work all he wants as the Father does. So does he to do good and to love others. He doesn't, he doesn't only say that. He doesn't even say he's Lord over the Sabbath. Look what it says. Jesus said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. What Jesus was saying is, I am the source of rest. I am the Sabbath. Jesus is saying the one day a week we rest from our labor and we worship and do good is a foreshadow of the eternal rest that is found in me. Which brings us to our Sabbath rest. Now, turn with me, if you have your Bibles open, Hebrews 4. The sermon on Hebrews 4 is online, but that's a really good place you want to be when you're talking about the Sabbath, by the way. The book of Hebrews, I thought you'd never heard me say this again. I'm going to say it again. The point of the book of Hebrews, and hopefully some of you remember this, the supremacy, superiority, and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The argument, right, is that he's the better and superior and greater than angels and Moses and Joshua and the promised land, the Old Testament priest. Remember that? He mediated a new covenant, mediated a new covenant in his blood. Shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And now we have this unrestrained, unrestricted access to God. If you remember, when we got to chapters 3 and 4, the author was using the redemption of Israel in the promised land as an analogy to the ultimate rest that we have in Christ. Okay? Turn there with me. Chapter 4. Actually, a little bit of chapter 3. In chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, the point that the author is making is that God delivered you from slavery in Egypt, okay, and under tyranny of, of Pharaoh... It was grace alone, yet y'all didn't listen to me in the wilderness, 
And therefore, you never got to the promised land of rest because you were disobedient. And many of you died in the wilderness. That's the point. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering this rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. He's talking about the rest of God. For good news, the gospel came to us just as to them. Their, their salvation was a gift. It was free. It was by grace. It's good news. But the message they heard did not benefit. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Okay, verse 3. For we who have believed, talking to the church, have entered the rest, that rest. As he said, I swore in my wrath, they, though disobedient ones, shall not enter my rest. See what he calls it? My rest. One he internally, eternally enjoys. And then the author goes on in verse 4 of chapter Hebrews 4, 4, and equates this failed rest of them not entering into the promised land with the promised rest of the seventh day in Genesis. Look what it says. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. He's talking about Genesis. God rested on the seventh day from all his work. Okay? We see that in chapter 4, verse 4. What he's saying is those who fail to enter into the promised land which is supposed to be the land of rest, that's where they were headed, didn't get in. Look, go down to verse 8. For if Joshua, who's Joshua? You couldn't get in the promised land because you didn't believe, you didn't trust me, there was unbelief, hardness of hearts. You couldn't get in the promised land. You died in the wilderness and never entered into the promised land of rest. And now in chapter 4, verse 8, he mentions Joshua. Who's Joshua? Joshua's the one that brought him into the land. There still wasn't rest. Look what it says. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. That's Psalm 95 and other verses. There was a rest, an eternal rest that God has promised. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest, gospel people, Jesus' people, has also rested from his works as God did from his. We're not working for our salvation. We're resting in the grace of God. Uh, Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Remember, there's a warning. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Stay stay resting in the gospel. Stay resting in Christ. That's the big picture of this chapter. The Old Testament redemption from slavery in Egypt and deliverance into the promised land is a picture of the redemption in Christ. And the promised rest that's in Christ. And the author is reminding the recipients of Hebrews to not be like those Old Testament folks. Who in sin and disbelief even though they were delivered from slavery, never entered into the promised land rest. And even when they got there, there was still a rest that was promised. Sin was still a reality. The nation would, would, be, would, would be overtaken, both the northern and the southern kingdom, into exile. He's saying, don't be like them, but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the greater and better promised land, who is the better and greater promised rest. That's the whole point of chapter 4. So in contrast to the unfaithful Israelites who failed to trust God's provision, we are to strive toward and keep the faith and receive the benefits of, of God's saving work in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but what? To fulfill it. 
You can't see any more clearly the fulfillment of the law that Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. Dr. Michael Horton. Jesus Christ is the rest, R-E-S-T, for the people of God. And even the land will enjoy his eternal rest and be, Romans 8.21, liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. These Sabbaths pointed to Christ. And his advent, death, resurrection, ascension, and future return. We find fulfillment so complete that we, that we no more need the Sabbath as a sign than we need sacrifices or a temple. According to Hebrews, Christ is all three. Sabbath, sacrifice, and temple, end quote. So God created the world in six days, then rested. Adam and all creation entered into God's rest, into the shalom, and as we already saw, part of God's rest is this shalom, but Adam sinned. He worked for his rest. He ran away from God. He hid. He tried to cover his own nakedness with a fig leaf. And what did God do? God went after Adam in grace and slaughtered an animal and clothed Adam because Adam could not save himself. And God is showing that it's got to be by grace alone. And, and, and this... Work that Adam tried to do has been our work. We're trying to work our way in salvation, trying to, to obey the laws in order to be saved rather than resting in salvation and obeying the law. It's the difference between the gospel and religion. Now, man has been running into rest ever since. Working, 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 trying to rest. The original Sabbath day was work and rest, resting in God, though, forever before sin. Yet now, family... Because of sin, there is work and rest, work and rest, work and rest, and work for six days, and then rest where? On the last day. Christ comes along and he fulfills the law. He dies for sin, rises from the dead on the first day of the week, and now in Christ, we are completely at rest. Right? We're completely at rest. It is now permanent. We have peace with God. So the question of what day is the Sabbath, Saturday or Sunday, to some degree, is moot. Because every single moment of every single day, of every single second, believers are resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who said on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. Now, I want you to watch this. At creation, it's work six days and rest on the seventh day. Adam enters that rest, but then sin and work becomes arduous, and rest is something we work toward. The end of the week, work, rest. Work six days, then you rest. Christ comes along, fulfills the law, now rest not only becomes permanent, but now it also points to a new day. And what do I mean by that is this. Working for... And working toward your salvation in order to enter God's rest is not only a burden, it will never, ever happen. You will never live a righteous life required. But resting in your salvation will allow you then to obey and to work and to do good with joy. That's what John means by laws are not burdensome anymore. The original Sabbath rest came after six days of work, but man sinned. And it turned into six days of work and toil, brokenness, and then resting on the last day. 
Jesus Christ comes, fulfills the law, lives that perfect life, the life that Adam could not live, dies an atoning death, absorbs our wrath in our place, rises from the dead on the first day of the week. And what do the apostles do? They rest on the first day of the week, pointing to the reality that work now flows from rest. Not work to rest, but rest then work. Work, 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 rest. Christ comes, rest. First day of the week. Now obey and work. The gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. We're not working for our rest. We're resting and now we're working. We don't rest on the last day. We rest on the first day. And then out of the gospel, out of the shalom, out of the peace of God, we serve the Lord. We worship the Lord. Self-justification, works righteousness, (laughs) will not work will not give you the righteousness needed. The gospel is rest and then work out of grace and shalom and peace, not trying to earn salvation, but resting in the finished work of Christ. And now listen, by our union with Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law, we are already living in the seventh day eternal Sabbath of God, looking for that final rest with him in eternity. God commanded a Sabbath observance through Moses, but Christ himself is the Sabbath for his people. As he said, Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Come to me, all who are weary and laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So what did the apostles do? They worship when? On Sunday. The Jews look for the Messiah at the end of the week, but we look backward to Christ at the beginning of a new week. And when the second Adam, Jesus, came, he fulfilled all obedience due to God. And unlike the first Adam, he won our access to the tree of life, entering into the Sabbath rest, one that God himself enjoys. Sabbath rest, ultimate presence with God, fulfilled in Christ. If, if the Sabbath, which we already saw, is a sign of redemption, and it is for God's people, is a sign. The Sabbath rest is a sign of redemption for God's people. How fitting it would be for we as God's people to celebrate our redemption on Sunday. So obedience to the Sabbath is so much more than just stopping from daily working, we celebrate on Sunday morning the completion of Christ's work in his life, death, and resurrection. He has delivered us. He has set us free from sin's tyranny. And according to Scripture, that's what I believe the apostles did. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when we gather together to break bread, the celebrating redemption, Revelation 1.10, John, we saw this not long ago. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a voice. I heard behind me a loud voice with a trumpet. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul tells the church, as they gather together on the first day of the week, put something aside and store it up, so there'll be no collecting when I come. So obviously the church gathered the first day of the week, celebrated the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and liberation from sin, Satan, and, and the enemy. God does not want us to want to rob us of our of the joy of the Sabbath, but to rejoice in our God-given, Christ-wrought, spirit-applied freedom from slavery. 
from sin, from death. It's only when we are united with Christ, only when we are united with Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, can we fulfill our Sabbath duties, finding rest in him. The gospel makes it very clear, every four gospel, every account, that Jesus Christ rose on the first day of the week. First day of the week, first day of the week, first day of the week. The old covenant is fulfilled, the new covenant has come, everything that was anticipatory and preparatory is coming is now fulfilled and satisfied perfectly in the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole world changed. All things are made new. All things that were in process now are new through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the reality that we worship our Redeemer on Sunday morning. So, is it Saturday or Sunday? Well, for us, it's Sunday. I'm glad you're here. You wouldn't be here by yourself yesterday. We're not just concerned about when we worship. We want to worship Him, who we worship. The Lord Jesus who rose from the dead. But even with all that said, I'm going to give you a verse. (laughs) I'm going to give you a verse. Look at at Colossians. This is a great verse. So we have to worship on Sunday. Everything else is wrong. Pastor Lou just said, actually, no. Colossians chapter 2, Romans chapter 14. Paul tells the church of Colossae how great and glorious Jesus is. He died on the cross. Broke, you know, delivered us from principalities, wonderful things, forgiven us. And verse 16, he says, therefore, because of the gospel, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food, ceremonial, drink, ceremonial, regard to festivals, ceremonial, or a new moon or a Sabbath. Whoa, Paul, why not? Well, these are shadows of things to come, but the substance... The reality, the, the, the reality of it, not, not a shadow, not a sketch, not an outline. The substance belongs to who? Christ. Here we see the ceremonial aspects of the Sabbath rest. Paul puts them with festivals and new moons. They belong to Christ. The Sabbath day is placed alongside the rituals, the celebrations of the ceremonial law that Christ has fulfilled. So we don't require people... Some people work on Sundays. Law enforcement, uh, hospitals, places that are just open that can't close. They worship, excuse me, they work on Sundays. I did for many years. I have to take another Sabbath day. Does it make sense to gather on Sunday? Absolutely. Is it biblical? Absolutely. They did so. But if we're so, stuck, we're so hung up on got to be on a Saturday, well, how come we don't do the other Sabbaths? Like letting prisoners go. Well, we are now, but you know what I mean? Letting prisoners go every seven years. Oh, Jubilee. Like, we're not doing any of that. So we observe the Lord's Day not out of duty obligation, but with joy celebrating the triune God. It, it's, it's, it's practical, but some people worship on Saturdays because they work on Sundays. There are services that are done throughout the week. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. I would assume if we're in a community where, you know, we're in, in the middle of a real deep community of around a hospital maybe, and 90% of our congregation works on Sunday, we would, do, we, would, we would be doing something different. Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday, I mean, whatever day. We don't, we don't want to make it legalistic where you have to do this and now or you're breaking some law and you're in sin. Resting one day a week is a rhythm for God's people. So I will ask you, are you taking a Sabbath rest? My rest day is Tuesday. 
But are you taking a Sabbath rest? Are you taking a day, making it distinct, making it separate, worshiping the law, Lord, serving others, staying in prayer, and doing the things, like I said, loving others, showing mercy, or is every day the same day? Take a day, draw near to God, draw near to others, fellowship, worship, serve others, have mercy with one another. Enjoy your Sabbath rest. Let me ask you this question. Don't answer it. I already know the answer. How, we just had a birthday celebration with Colleen. Is she here? All right, she got it right, man. She celebrates every day for a month, right? And if there's anyone, not to put you on the spot, but I'm gonna, is anyone that looks forward to her birthday? It is her. And right, that's cool. That's good. We all look forward to our birthday parties. Sometimes different years, maybe like, I don't really want this year to come. But when you're okay with that, you celebrate birthdays, you celebrate um, graduation. We have all these celebrations that we set a day apart and celebrate. How much more for God's people to set a day and celebrate our redemption? It's not about an obligation, I got to do this. It's about, I get to worship and celebrate grace and mercy and kindness and God's love. How he redeemed me. I deserve hell. He rescued me. It should be a day of celebration, a day anticipatory that we're looking forward to. Celebrating, gathering together on Sunday to worship the Lord. The Sabbath day for worship. Day of mercy, doing good. A day of rest. We must honor God by recognizing who he is. That's the first commandment. How we are to worship. That's the second commandment. Our speech and our words. That's the third commandment. But also the use of our time. When? When's the rhythms in our lives where we rest from toil and work? It's not just when we worship, but who we worship, as I said. If you work every day of your life and you don't have time to gather as a body, as a church, worship God, grow in your faith, be in community, the result is you'll be robbed of the joy that God has for you and the intimacy you can grow in with your God. We become a workaholic culture, many of us. We're trying to achieve something. We're trying to, we're trying to find rest, right? We're, we're trying to find something deep within our soul, some meaning, some belonging, something that will, I could finally... Close my eyes, settle in my soul, be, be, be satisfied where I'm at, and just rest. But our souls won't let us do that if we are not resting in Christ. We're searching for identities, we're searching for value. And all through this humanistic, individualistic uh, achievements, we gotta do better and do more. As I said, some of y'all need to do more. But many of our souls are just not at rest. We could stop labor, we could just put our feet up, but we're not at rest. There's a deep sense of unrest in our hearts, that inner rest that never happens. And we work and work and work, and we try to do things, we try to be somebody we're not, we're trying to be or justify ourselves, and we can't. And there's this longing of rest. If you don't know Jesus, you have that longing. You may mask it, you may, you may suppress it, you may add to things to your life so you don't deal with it. There's one cure, and it's Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. I mentioned this earlier. All you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Learn from me. I'm gentle, humble, finding rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me close by saying this. Adam ran and hid and worked for salvation, if you don't know Christ today and not settled in his perfect 
life that he lived on your behalf, imputed to you by faith, died a death that you should have died, bearing God's judgment and God's wrath upon himself as your substitute, you will not know rest your entire life. So I, we, we want to invite you to come to Jesus where you'll find your rest. I want to invite you, if you're a believer, to think through. I'm not going to tell you what to do and not to do on the Sabbath rest. Get with God. Open the word. What needs to change so that you can love the Lord, grow in, in your faith, and rest that God has given you to enjoy? Look forward to that day. I know this speaks to my own heart. Things I need to change. Not out of rules and regulations, but out of love, joy, and celebration. Does that make sense? Okay, let us pray. Father, we're thankful that you have given us eternal rest in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And yet the principle still remains, Lord. There are times in our lives when, when we're so busy, we forget to celebrate you. We forget to, to remember. We forget to set apart time to rest in your grace. May we always, every moment of every waking second, rest in your grace. And may all that we do be an outflow of the gospel, outflow of grace. Not trying to work toward rest, but resting on the first day. And then serving, worshiping, obeying with joy of the gospel for the remaining week, Lord. Please, as we serve you and worship you and as we sing, God, we pray your blessing on our time for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.